Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Morning. It's good to be with you to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Thankful to be here for that. And the hope is that for those here today, for those of us here today, that despite all that has to take place between now and tomorrow, and for some of us that's a lot that needs to take place between now and tomorrow, that we would remember though that the anticipation of tomorrow is not about the gifts under the tree, but about the one who was born under the star. Born to die so we wouldn't have to at the end be under the wrath of the God we once turned away from. It's good to be here today. My name's Jesse. Um, if you're visiting with us, again, a, a special welcome to you. If you have kids two to four, you're welcome to use the, the nursery, the child care um, that's going on now. Uh, kids Sunday school is going to resume after the new year. But we're glad to have you with us today. Um, again, I'm the pastor here at Kishwaukee Bible Church, one of our elders, um, each of whom you've seen, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, each of whom you've seen up here walking through a, a piece of a book called Malachi. We're in a series on a book called Malachi that we've entitled The Dawning. And last week we began to see a glimpse of just that, a glimpse of the dawn that dawned upon the darkness of a world very much in need. Last week we began to see just that. This week it is going to break full. We're going to see it break full. And we're going to do that by looking at Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, all the way to the end of the book. This is to close out our series. Again, Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to begin by reading it all the way to the end of the book. You could follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word. He says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Before we look more closely at this, at what Malachi has to say to us today, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, it um, seems too often that the wicked do go unpunished. That evil does go unanswered. That darkness does go without a dawn. But even today, when that seems more true than ever in our world, the world in which we live now, I pray that we would remember this day that the hope of Christmas is that your sun already dawned upon the darkness of this world. But likewise, I pray that we would remember that Christmas is a hope that having dawned once, daybreak will yet dawn again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I was reminded this week of a story. I was reminded this week of a story of two young boys who spent the week leading up to Christmas at their grandparents' house. And one night before bed, they kneeled before their bed to say their prayers, as people may have used to do more than we do now. Kneeled before their bed to say their prayers, and the younger of the two began, Oh God, I pray for a new bike. Oh God, I pray for a new video game system. Oh God, and I want you to know I really, really need a new basketball and soccer ball and football and peeked over at his brother. His brother looked back. I said, what are you doing? He's not deaf. <laughs> the younger boy looked back and said, I know, but grandma is. <laughs> It's a silly little story, but it says something about where we go looking when we don't think God is listening. Where we go looking when we don't think God is listening. And today we're going to be looking at Malachi's Christmas message, which isn't the Christmas message you may have thought or expected when you walked to the door this morning. Because this is a message about the dark side of Christmas. But it's a message that gives Christmas its 
significance. And I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever experienced the silence of God? Have you ever experienced the silence of God? And I'm not talking about silent night. I'm talking about when if there was ever a moment that you thought God should show up and do his superhero thing and save the day, that was the moment. And yet your cry for help is only answered by God's silence. Have you ever experienced the silence of God? It's times like those in our lives that they can spin out of control, whether you've been a part of this faith and it's a moment like that that causes you to doubt or causes you to walk away, or if you haven't been a part of this faith and it's a moment like that that makes you hate even more, despise even more the God you didn't even believe in. Met with the silence of God We can go places in our hearts some of us never dreamed of going before. This is how the recording artist Andrew Peterson puts it. It's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod, and heaven's only answer is the silence of God. It'll shake a man's soul when he loses his heart, when he has to remember what broke him apart. This yoke may be easy, but this burden is not when the crying fields are frozen by the silence of God. Have you ever experienced the silence of God? And this is what Malachi, the close of this book, As we anticipate the close of this year, this is what Malachi speaks to. This is Malachi's Christmas message as he shows us three pictures of the silence of God. First, of where we could end up, of how far we can fall if we misunderstand it. The second, a picture of why we shouldn't go there. And the third, a picture of how to do it, of what it looks like to hang on. Whether we were waiting back then in Malachi's day for the dawning of that first Christmas, or waiting today for the dawning of eternity. What it looks like to to grab hold again of a hope we once knew, or to find it for the very first time if we've never known it before picture of where we could end up faced with the silence of God, a picture of why we shouldn't go there because of what's behind the silence, and a picture of what it looks like to hang on, that we would never forget in God's silent what we've known to be true when God once spoke. So what we're going to look at today, first, a picture of where we could end up and where some of us have ended up, and certainly where many had ended up in Malachi's day, and many have ended up in our own. When God seems silent, where could we find ourselves? How far could we fall? Malachi says we could begin to think God's silence today 
means he's not going to speak tomorrow. Look back at chapter 3, verse 13. It says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. It is meaningless. When I've called you back to myself and promised to make a way back to myself for all those who turn back to myself, you've said, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? of taking him at his word when he's promised that someday he'll make all wrongs right again. What's the profit? What's the point? What's the use? Malachi says, and God says through him, that in the midst of God's silence, we run the risk of interpreting the silence we feel today as a silence we expect out of every tomorrow. We risk washing away the promise that one day God will speak, and eventually we risk washing away the possibility even that he can. And now, verse 15 says, we call the arrogant blessed. That it's better to cry out to, to grandma for stuff that we don't need than to cry out to God for the stuff we do. That it's better to, to go out and get our own than to wait on Him. To write our own rules than to bother playing by His we call the arrogant blessed. That evildoers not only prosper, they put God to the test and they escape. The risk is that faced with the silence of God, the God that you've dismissed in the past will be the God whose judgment in the future and no less the reward you ultimately deny. You say that it is vain to serve God. Evildoers not only prosper, they put God to the test and they escape. It's one thing like Chris, if you were here last week, it's one thing like Chris talked about to attempt to rewrite God's rules. At least you still care about the rules. It's another thing to do away with them altogether to finally conclude that it doesn't even matter. Whether it's with keeping his ways or weeping when we've failed to keep them. You know, there's no greater time that you want to wash away the existence of God than when you failed to live up to his standard, right? There's no greater time that you're, you're at risk in the silence of God of determining there isn't a God there to speak after all. For three chapters now, Malachi has been pointing to what's public. But he's making the point that there is an inward sickness behind the outward symptoms. He's saying the outward of not giving God your best or serving God like you should, like all God's creatures ought. That's not really the problem. 
There's something that lies beneath that. For three chapters, Malachi has been pointing to what's public. God's people stopped giving God their best. They stopped serving him like they should have. They were running after the ways of the world, the promises of satisfaction outside of him. Whether it was binging on Netflix or trolling through Facebook, I don't know what they were doing. Three chapters now, not giving God their best. God, for his part, he went out of his way to to declare to them that despite it all, he would one day make a way back. That he would make a way back for those who would turn back to him. He said, bring in the full tithe. Bring to me what I deserve. He says, put me to the test if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down blessings until there is no more need of them. But he says now, no, that's not good enough, is it? That's not good enough. Providing a way back isn't good enough because the outward symptoms of a people back then and all the world today of not giving God what he deserves is actually only evidence of something deeper inside. Things are never better in the places you can't see than in the places you can. And that is true about the carpet underneath the couch. And that's true about the darkness of our own lives. Things are bleeding out on the surface. Something's much worse underneath. I remember in college, coming back from Christmas break, coming back and realizing that someone, I don't think it was me, left an orange on the windowsill. Orange and turned a little green. But you're a college student, so everything matters, right? Every little bit counts. I went to rub it off. (laughs) Soon as I touched it, it imploded in a cloud of dust. Because that little bit of green on the outside was only evidence of something much worse on the inside. Malachi says that our are counting our relationship with God as nothing is where things begin to go wrong. That's what bleeds into our relationship with everyone and anyone else. That we at best will love others for our own ends or at worst abuse them to get what we want because we first walk away from God. That we see our girlfriend or our boyfriend, our husband or our our wife as a tool or as a toy because we think we've ended up in a shop with no shopkeeper. We dismiss God and that's where things begin to go wrong. Maybe studying now, finally on break, but your studies become merely a way of gaining power rather than a way that they should have been. Why universities were established in the first place in the Western world, a way of getting to know God. Now it's only a means for gaining power, only to be used for other people if it serves you somehow. Why? 
because you first concluded that God's silence implies at best his indifference or at worst his absence. This is where we end up. This is where you could end up in our world, in our broken world. If you misinterpret the silence. Because in the silence of history, at some point, the God we don't see becomes the God we don't believe in. We swallow the taunt of the new atheists. If you've read any of their material Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. A chasing after the wind, even serving God. And really, it's not about ending up there at all. At the heart of it, disbelief in God is the very root of the issue. It's a faith issue that opens up the less than living for God in the first place. It's a a faith issue that opens up the I can't see him, he doesn't care mentality. It's a faith issue that finally leads to the he's not here, he's not anywhere collapse. And it's a faith issue when we subtly take God's throne for ourselves, thinking by his silence, he's not around to take it for his own. That's where each of us can end up faced with the silence of God. And maybe you've slipped there even this Christmas season. Christmas can be dark. There's great things if you're sitting here under 12 years old. There's great things ahead. It could be really great. If you're over 12, Christmas can be dark. In the midst of all that wrapping paper lying on the floor, when the emptiness sets in of what was this all about? What was this all about? It's a yearly thing for me. I know it is. I'm the pastor of a church. I can imagine it's a yearly thing for many of us. You slip into, maybe you've slipped there even now, or maybe that's where you're starting off. But there's reason, Malachi says in his second picture not to, to fight against that and see where it's leading and where it's rooted. In these final verses, Malachi not only shows us a, a picture of where we could end up, but a second picture of why we shouldn't go there even when God is silent. And it's the answer that, that ought to be trumpeted above every call to abandon God. Every snickering remark that service to God is done in vain sucks the fun out of life. And wouldn't you rather just follow Sinatra and doing it your way? It's the answer to every doubt in life. Every moment we we question whether God cares or whether he's even there to care. Yes, life is hard. Suffering is real. And I have waging a war within me the desire to go after my own ends and fulfill my every whim especially after I've already fallen short. Never more a time to wash away God. There's no more moment, except if it isn't, if it isn't just a story, if it isn't just a fairy tale. We think we can judge God on the state of our world today. But what if he's not done? What if the story isn't over? 
We think following God who's called for my allegiance and for me to die to myself is an utter waste of time. But what if he's real? And what if he's scheduled the day and slated the hour when he will call all things to account? What if the story isn't over? Could you imagine what Frank Sinatra would do? Imagine the song sung on a very different stage. Here's what Frank Sinatra sings. He sings, and now the end is clear. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived, I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more, much more than this, I did it my way. Sung on a very different stage that will make for a very tragic performance if the story's not done. And we have to stand before our Maker. This is Malachi's second picture. It's the first time in Malachi's book that actually in the middle of this dispute, back and forth, back and forth with God's people, it's the first time that God actually doesn't speak. Malachi just sees it because God's done arguing. At that point, the conversation will be closed. Malachi simply sees in 3.16 that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Those who did not see in the silence of God his unwillingness or inability to speak. And it says the Lord paid attention and heard them. Because he does care and he is present. And a book of remembrance was written, it says. So sure, so certain and kept by God that it was written. Written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Who had God and God's plans and God's purposes as the guiding principle of their lives. A book of remembrance was written, and this is what God says to them. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Not because they deserve it, but because like a son, like a son who would serve me, I will treat them Amazing twist of history that it was actually eventually on behalf of his son that he did it. And then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. You say there's none. You assume there's none. You interpret my silence as if there's none. But you will see between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is the reason to hang on. Because behind the silence is a God who one day will speak again. A God who hears today and will speak tomorrow. For behold, God says, the day is coming 
burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise, the dawning with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. Tread or be tread upon. That's the picture. That when God one day speaks, you will tread or be tread upon. That justice will come. That this world will be held to account. There's a, a story written about a marsh wiggle named Puddle Glum. Some of you will know the story. Marsh wiggle named Puddle Glum, two of his companions who find themselves trapped in an underground world in the clutches of an evil sorceress, and she's put them under a trance of sorts and is trying to persuade them that all of what they knew of the overworld is false. And that their belief in even the sun is a fabrication of their own imagination. And with a last-ditch effort to escape her influence, this marshwiggle named Puddleglum fights to get these last words out. He says, suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things. Trees, grass, and sun, and moon, and stars, and the, and the lion, if you know who that is. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one, and that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We can make a play world which licks your real world hollow, and that's why I'm going to stand by the play world. If the story is done and over, it's been a great story. This is a better story. The story of Jesus is a better story than the real one if the story's done and over. But the greatest motivation for hanging on in the midst of the silence of God is that the story isn't. And that the last page will someday be turned. And Malachi wasn't the first one to see the power of this point. In the book of Ecclesiastes which sounds very much as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes like the trumpet call of the new atheists of Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, or whatever name you want to put under there of those who have joined in the spitting on God's coffin. Ecclesiastes, which sounds very much like the trumpet call of the new atheists, yet before that book made its way into our Bible, whether the author or whoever got a hold of it ends with these words. It says, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, but 
the end of the matter is this. Fear God, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Life is meaningless. God is absent. And more than that, more than not even care, He doesn't even exist. So get your own. Go and get it for yourselves on your own terms. The disbelief that freed you in the first to withhold your best from God, to do in secret what you wouldn't have dared to do in public, that disbelief is more warranted than you ever hoped. Except if the last chapter has not been read out, if the last page has not been turned, if the story's not over. This is what Christmas was all about in Malachi's day. That God would someday speak again. This is what Christmas is about today. Where we can end up if we misinterpret the silence. Why we shouldn't go there because of what's behind the silence. That it will one day be broken. Lastly then though, a picture of how to hang on. And what that looks like in someone's life. And it's interesting here because Malachi's words not only draw to a close his own book, but in fact, the entirety of the Old Testament. After all God had done in history, how do you hang on when going into the dusk in which God, for a very long time, was not going to speak? What would you say? If that was your job to write the closing words of the prophetic stream of the Old Testament, what would you write? Here's what Malachi writes. He says in chapter 4, verse 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember the law. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. God doesn't want to destroy, not with utter destruction. He says, lest I destroy with utter destruction. He doesn't want that. That's not the end God is after. So he says, remember the law. Remember the law and look for Elijah. You see, Malachi is pointing forward to that final day. But looking forward to that day when God will speak again, he says you hang on in the silence of the present by looking back at all God said in the past. Remember the law. Remember the law. Live under the law. Find your righteousness in the law. In God's way, not your own way. Not, not a law of death, but a law of life. Not as a law of slavery, but as a law of liberty. A law which makes provision for those who've gone their own way. A law that invites us back and covers us, covers our misdoings against our Maker and teaches us what it means to live as He intended. A law that's now stamped on the hearts of all those who have put their faith in God's ultimate provision, God's Son. A law we're bound to by the very presence of God who has taken up residence inside of us, God's Spirit. 
remember the law. Because salvation from the silence is found in what God said back then when it's remembered today. And through its fulfillment in the one who now has already come. Remember the law. Remember it rightly. In that world of puddle glum, that marsh wiggle, at one point that same sorceress in different clothes actually tries to leverage the law of that world to undo it. When the point is made, that law was written long before the sorceress was ever around. And though that law had the potential to undo that world, it was in that law that that world would finally be saved. Remember the law. This is why a man named Paul wrote to us so many letters in our Bibles, one after another after another. Ever wonder why Paul gets so much placement in our Bibles? It's because this is what he was saying. Remember the law and remember it rightly. We've done wrong by it. We thought the law was our way of getting us right with God. It's not. That by following his commands, we could get right with God. We can't. The law isn't about us getting right with God. The law is God's provision to get us right with Him on our, on our behalf. That's why Paul gets so much attention in our Bibles. Remember the law. That's what Christmas is all about. Trusting God enough to do it His way and then watching for Elijah. Because Elijah always comes. Elijah always comes. Elijah would come in a man named John the Baptist. Elijah would come even more in a man named Jesus. And Elijah's still meant to come in the church. It's an interesting thing what Malachi is doing here in his book. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Sounds very similar to what we heard last week, doesn't it? Do you remember the words from chapter 3, verse 1? The opening of chapter 3? Behold, I will send my messenger. Now behold, I will send you Elijah. But there's an interesting thing. These words that begin chapter 3, which echo into chapter 4. The sending of a messenger. The sending of Elijah. In chapter 3, verse 1, this is only the second time, the second and only time in the book of Malachi that Malachi's name appears. Now, I know you can't see it there, but it's there. You want to know why? That's what Malachi's name means. Malachi. That's what it means. It means simply my messenger. So much so that there's actually a debate whether that was in fact this guy's name. Was he really named my messenger? But one way or another, it's interesting because he's writing himself in to his own story. Behold, my messenger will come. One who points back to what I said before and points forward to what I will say again. Malachi did it himself. He was the answer to his own prophecy. And so too was John the Baptist. And so too was Jesus 
But the question this side of that first Christmas is who will stand up and be God's Malachi again? Three pictures of the silence of God, of where you could end up if you misinterpret it, of why you should hang on because of what's behind it, and of how to hang on looking back to what God spoke in the past, knowing that He will speak again. But as much as this is three pictures about the silence of God, this is a call for God's people to break the silence on His behalf. That's what Christmas is about. It's not the presence. You focus there. You watch tomorrow ravel out of under control. Focus on the unwrapping of the gifts and watch the disappointment in your own hearts. Christmas is about a message. A message that was foretold long ago. Remember the law. A message that was told again in the days of Jesus. And a message we're to take up on His behalf. Let me encourage you then in three ways. First, let me encourage you to take a long look at your own life. In what ways have you fallen across that line from just dismissing God to ultimately denying that He's even there? Remember, Malachi always says, the public is merely evidence of the private. And the private is only a picture of the personal. So if something's going wrong in life and you find yourself stumbling in life, ask yourself, where is it going wrong to begin with? In what ways have you begun to deny a God you've begun to dismiss? Take a look at your life. Christmas is a good time to do that. But second, as you're looking at your life, let me encourage you to look back at when God's spoken before. For us this side of Christmas, the Christmas story is not a bad place to begin. Amidst all of tomorrow and what tomorrow will bring, let me encourage you to turn back to the Christmas story. Kath's parents are here. We'll sit tomorrow as we do every Christmas we happen to have together. And Kath's dad will read out the story from Luke 2. It'll be part of our day, the rhythm of centering us again from the presence to the gift that ultimately matters most. Let me encourage you to do that. Or maybe round the table before dinner is served. Look back at John 1. I'm going to jump into that in the new year, but now is as good a time as ever. And look at where God spoke most definitively when He spoke in His Son, the Word made flesh. Look at your life. Look back at where, where God has spoken before. Let me encourage you lastly, though, of think of the year ahead and what it would look like if you were to step into Malachi's shoes. This is ultimately the call of this prophet. 
for God's people to stand up and be God's prophets themselves. Not saying whatever you want. There's a lot of those prophets around. Not that. But declaring again the things of God that He spoke before as you look forward and point forward to Him speaking once more. What would it look like to you to be the Malachi? Who will be God's Malachi in the days ahead? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, too often we look around and we see evil unanswered. Too often we see suffering that goes unanswered. Too much we look at our own lives and we forget that you have answered, that you will answer again. I pray this Christmas, even today, even tomorrow, that we would know what you've said more than ever before. That you spoke. That we would remember the law and remember it rightly. But that we would remember most Jesus who fulfilled it on our behalf. And that we would look forward to the day you will make all things right when he comes again and you speak once more. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.